Dave Williams presents Conversations.Buzz. My friend, Mark Austin Thomas in Los Angeles. Last time we talked, we talked a little bit about how long you had been retired. Now, how long had that been? Oh, wow. Well, it's been a year and a half now. I don't know how long it was when yeah. we... No, that's okay. A year and a half is what I was looking for. Go back to the beginning. How'd you get into the business and why? Okay, I'll, I'll try and give a quick summation. Um, I got a degree uh the College of Communications at the University of Illinois on radio and television. My first job uh, was as a reporter at WIVK in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, that was from, well, I have to do the years. <laughs> so I did that. And then I left there after about four, four and a half years. I started out as a reporter and ended up as news director uh, and then went to CBS in Boston, was an O&O at the time, W-E-E-I. It's now all sports. And then was there for a year and then uh, came to California, um, got a job as a news director at KSOL in uh, the Bay Area. And I was there for about what five. What, what took you to California? Oh, that's the story I'll have to tell you on another. <laughs> like, that's, okay. that's, like a, that's almost like a whole little thing in of itself. But right. long story short, I I got I just got an itch, you know, like I need to go to California. I need to go to California. Funny thing was I was in um, I was back in Champaign-Urbana after I left Boston. I went and stayed at a friend's apartment. He was living with his girlfriend. So I had a rent free apartment for the summer. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um and uh, I wanted to go to California, but I could not get anybody to employ me because everybody would look at my resume and say, well, you were just at CBS in Boston. I don't think you want to flip burgers at, you know, low high burger shop, you know, and I go, right. I, I yeah. do. I, I really want to do this. But it took me the whole summer before I realized I should have just lied about my I should have <laughs> I should have not made it look like the last thing I did was that or I don't know. I shouldn't have been so uh, honest. Anyway, no one wanted to hire me. And so this is part of the story. I won't go into all of it. Sure. Right. But uh, at that time, I don't know if you remember the movie My Dinner with Andre. I remember the title. I don't know that okay. I saw it. It was just basically just a conversation between Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory. Yeah. And in the scene, the, the point, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in the movie, there's a scene where Wallace Shawn is talking about fortune cookies. And, you know, I don't see how people can know your fortunes in the, in the back kitchen of these restaurants. How can they put those fortunes in the cookie? And there's a whole big thing about how fortune cookies are, you know, like, what's that about? And um, a friend of mine who at the time was a sales rep for Random House, uh, I, I she had lived in California for a while before she came back to Illinois. And um, I was telling her, you know, I, I can't get a job. No one's hiring me. I don't know what's going on. I can't lay carpet. I can't flip burgers. I can't get a job. This is so weird. And um, we were talking about it. And then she, uh, a week later, I get a card from her and I open it up and, and there's a check. And this is like in the 70s. Okay. It's a check for $700 and, and just to work, go to California. Really? And my entire <laughs> life, which includes two children, since then came out of that check because wow. I wouldn't have had the money to drive there. I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had anything. I wouldn't have any way of getting there. And I mean, it's such a blessing that she gave me. So based on that, I came, that's how I came to California. Um, got this job being news director in the Bay Area. Did that for about four and a half, five years. Then um, they decided they didn't want to do news anymore. They wanted to do more hits. 
uh, talk about changing radio. And so um, I came to Southern California and started out as a per diem news writer at KNX, Morning Drive, then was doing that. So I would do that from like three in the morning until 10 or something, go sleep in my car for two hours in the parking lot, and then drive to KFI and do an afternoon editing shift there. <laughs> and uh, I did that for uh, a few months, and then I got hired at um, at uh, KFI to to be a a board op and an editor, and then transitioned into um, I did I went back and did a little stint as a reporter for KNX, but then KFI uh, hired me to be a, a reporter, and then on and on and on, and then uh, news director, assistant program director, then left KFI, oh, and then became program director at KLAC. I mean, not KLAC. Yeah, KLAC, when we changed from adult standards to talk for like two yeah. years. Did that. Then uh, then they decided we don't want to do this format, fired everybody. And then I was out of work for about two, three months. And then I became the new midday anchor for KPCC, public radio, and enjoyed that. Did that for about two years then got an offer to be the co-host of Marketplace Morning Report. Did that for a year. Then drift around a bit. Again, I did some uh, fill-in anchor work for KNX. Uh, then got hired uh, to be the news director and assistant program director at KBC when David Hall was there. And then left there because uh, they, you know, they fired a bunch of people and I was one of them. Uh, and, um, and then I, I couldn't find a job for five months. And this is when you and your, our, our paths crossed sort of again. Yeah. So I came to work for Merlin, although in New York, not Chicago and did that until they folded those stations. Well, you and I worked together at KNX. We, we worked at KNX. Yeah. 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 Got to mention that. Um, and, uh, so Merlin fired everybody at their stations. And so I left. I was going to stay because I had gotten a job at Wins as an anchor. Uh, but my daughter at that time was 11. I had missed her 12th birthday and I just said, okay, this is it. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just come back because I can't be apart from her. Yeah. Um, and don't you know that the day I went in and told the program director after I told my daughter, okay, I'm coming back. She's very excited. And I go in the next day and I tell the uh, program director, the news director, it wins, you know, I have to go. And he's like, well, you know, I understand. And uh, of course, families were important. Interestingly, um, a job has come up that I was going to, you know, wanted you to know about. And I could have just like killed myself because <laughs> I would have stayed. I mean, it would have taken anything if he had said, you know, we've got a job as a hot dog vendor that you could do until yeah. something comes. I would have done that because I really wanted to stay. In, I was living in Brooklyn, working in Manhattan, but I had already made this promise. And so I had to come back. And so I came back. I know you loved New York. I remember that. I did. Uh, that period did. with when you were with Merlin. Um, do you ever feel that some of it is just uh, preordained or, you know, it's just this is the best thing for you. You need to go. You don't want to go, but you need to do this. And certainly, oh, yeah. yeah, certainly your daughter made, made that, made that point clear, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, have you ever felt that your career was being manipulated or managed 
in greater capacity. Only when I look back on it, but not when I was going through it. I mean, the job that I got in Knoxville, uh, my girlfriend and I we were both attending U of I, and we had this agreement. Like, whoever got a job first, that's where we we're going to go. Yeah. And I got a job uh, at the classical station on campus, but it turned out earlier that day, she had been offered a job in Tennessee. And so I said, okay, that's what we're good now. You know, I could have said, I'm not moving to Tennessee. What? <laughs> you know, but I, that was the agreement. So I went and, and I had a great experience living there. I love Knoxville. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, but that's not something I would have decided to do. So I don't know about faded, but I, I have found, at least in my life, that there are times where when something looks like, I don't know how this could ever work. It sometimes works the best of all. And so I've, that's gotten me to just trust things a little more than I would have. Yeah. How did you, uh, how were you attracted to news or were you? Yeah, I, I was, um, you know, I'm kind of nosy. So that kind of helps. I mean, I want to know things. And I was always reading the news, listening to the news. I mean, it, it, you know, in the 70s, so much was going on, you know, uh, and that, that, to me, that was one of those periods of time where if you had any interest in news, there was so much to absorb yourself in. I guess that's true of any time, but it seemed that way to me at that time, being a college student. Um, and my fifth grade teacher, I was bagging groceries at a grocery store when I was living in Chicago in high school. And my uh, fifth grade teacher, who didn't seem to like me very much when I was in fifth grade, at least I thought, came to the store and she brought a book and gave it to me. She said, this is all about journalism. She said, you like to write, because I used to write stories a lot. And she said, I think this is something you should think about. And I was so touched that she even remembered me and thought enough to bring a book to give me that that actually started me very early on thinking about maybe I should try journalism, you know, with, and then it was more of an idea towards print, but I always loved radio. And uh, once I put the two together and thought, well, maybe I could do radio. Although I have to say in college, one of the things they had us do was go cover a city council meeting. Uh, University, of Illinois, University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, which is uh, southern Illinois, uh, is basically a university set in a very agricultural community. I mean, cornfields everywhere. And the city council meetings were largely about, you know, agricultural things, which I knew nothing about and didn't care at all. And so I thought, oh, my God, if I go to a city council meeting, is this what I'm going to be covering all the time? And then I realized, well, if you are, you know, if you are working as a reporter in an agricultural community, yes. But if you're working as a reporter someplace else, no. And so then I was much more interested. Have you paid any attention to radio at all since you retired? Are you lis- oh. Are you a listener or just the occasionally you'd stumble across it or what? You know, not very much. And I've recently felt bad about that. I've, <laughs> I've made a determination to start listening, not just radio, but television too. I'm paying attention to television news. I couldn't tell you who the anchors are or anything like that. I think it was probably just burnout. I didn't yeah. consciously think that, but yeah. I was just like, ah, you know, I'll, yeah. I mean, I get the news. I still get the news, but I get it on my phone and, you know, different other ways but um just like in the past month or so i've like made a determination i don't need to get back into it as much as i was but i want to know you know what's knx doing what's kfi doing what's what's channel seven channel five like i just want to be more knowledgeable about what's happening what what 
what outlets are doing in terms of news in particular? Given the technological age that we're in and the evolution of the industry, both, uh, I should say, both industries, radio and journalism, where do you think it's all going? Well, of course, nobody knows the answer for sure, but I, I like to look at a, a few things and see what they might portend for the future. I remember with the O.J. Simpson case, that this is the first time I was aware of it, where the boundaries that separated sports, entertainment, crime, politics, all seemed to come together. And I noticed that when I saw TV trucks from all these different, you know, uh, Entertainment Tonight, you know, ESPN, all these people covering OJ. And I thought, wow, this is like a story that just seems to cover, you hit all the bases. And to me, that that's when I started noticing more and more, like, you know, um, business news is the news. Like, it, it isn't just its own separate category. Sports isn't just sports. Right. It's across everything. And so the merging of all of these uh, things, and particularly when you're trying to get clicks on various platforms, I think the more appeal you, the more you can appeal to people across a lot of different um, boundaries, uh, I think that's more appealing to people. So um, I, I don't know about journalism, Big J, as we've <laughs> known it up to now, uh, because it kind of seems like with the smushing together of all these things, uh, which, you know, there's some good things about that, but there, I think there's some bad things about that. There's distinctions that I don't think people get that are important. But the idea of what's true, what's really happening, what do we know? Can we trust this? I don't know how many times I've posted something that I've seen on Facebook because I accepted it at face value. And then people later say, oh, you know, that's not really that picture or that's not really this. And, right. and maybe, they're, maybe they're right, you know, but it, it, it's fatiguing for me to have to think about it like that. Yeah. So I think that because there's a feeling that I can't always trust what's there, I think there's more of a need and certainly a hunger for the presentation of information without or with a very, very little spin, yeah. you know, with people or entities or companies or groups that don't have a dog in the fight, except to say, look, this is the information we've gathered from our sources. We're putting it out for you to look at. You decide what you want to believe. And I think that would engender a lot of trust. And I think if something like that were done or if it's being done now, if it grows, uh, then I think that's going to get a lot of traction because I think there's a real need for that. And even if you, you know, we all have biases. So what, even if you, you know, favor this particular outlet of this particular politics, I think people are wanting to actually hear what other sides of the story are. I, I really, what, what do other people have to say about this issue? Uh, so that they can better make up their minds. Isn't that the idea all along to give people the most information so they can make the best decision? Well, I certainly agree with everything you just said. But what I really wonder about, Mark, is, this is this is our perspective because this is our experience. This is in our experience anyway. <laughs> Hoping or wishing we could go back to a time when you found uh, reporters and and uh, other uh, you know uh, journalists that you could trust and believe, just laying out the facts and that's the way it is, and you decide what to think about it. But I wonder if younger people today people in their teens and slightly older are going to care about that because the world is going to be so different 
It's going to be a, you know, something that you and I perhaps can't conceptualize. I, you know, I don't know. It's a good question. And since I'm not 20, uh, there's no way I have that perspective. However, I have, uh, so I have a daughter that's 23 mm-hmm. and, um, I kind of watch how she sees the world. She's very cynical. Uh, not, I shouldn't say very cynical. She's cynical, which I think is good, particularly when you're young. I think it's good not to just, like I did, I think, just absorb everything and take everything in as it's presented. Um, but I think her cynicism, and I also teach uh, at a junior college, and so right, I regularly right, yeah. touch with students that are in their early 20s or late teens. And I, I think I think that their attitude is very much, again, different from mine when I was that age, but they're, they're, they're less trusting, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, and and so I, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, even though they don't know the world we knew, so they can't bemoan the way things are now because there's right. no context. I think they still can tell that nobody knows what to believe, and I don't think you need a context for that to be an, an unattractive situation. Yeah, good so point. I think if, if there are organizations, if there are people who are committed to putting out information, just putting out information. I mean, you know, we can kind of explain it to you, give you some context. So it's not just there, but the context has nothing to do with what I think is right. Or I mean, certain amount of bias is baked into everything, but, but not so overtly. Uh, I, I think that would, I think that would be a product that increasingly over time people would really want because everyone has just become so, so cynical. Everything has become so transactional that I think that the idea of information that you can trust and that you can believe in and that hasn't been spun in a particular way, I think would be attractive to a younger audience. I think it'd be attractive to everybody. Well, I, I, yeah. it'd just be another, it'd be another alternative out there which you could compare to everything else. Right. Well, we may get to a point, and I'm, and this is what I'm really hopeful of. I'll take you back. When I was, when I was little, I would go to my, with my dad, to uh, the school cafeteria every four years or whatever it was that he would line up to vote. And uh, he would stand in the line with people ready to go into the voting booth and they would have little newspaper clippings. We were in Sacramento. So the newspaper was the Sacramento Bee and they had their clippings that the Bee recommends and they're just going to go in there and, and vote for what the Bee recommends and now we've gotten to a point where, as you pointed out earlier, you really can't trust anything anybody posts on social media. And I'd like to think that uh, the younger people are going to go, okay, you know what? Let's stop. I'm going to have to figure this out myself. And what I'm saying essentially is that we're perhaps at a point where we're ready to start thinking start learning, start listening and paying attention and looking for answers ourselves instead of just accepting what's being handed down. Yeah, maybe. I hope I hope so. I was also thinking, though, as you were saying that, that may be true for those few things that they're very concerned about, that, yeah. you know, they have, a, they have a dog in the fight. For the other things, it may just be, I'm not going to even vote on those things because I don't know yeah. anything about them. And I guess you could argue both sides of the pros and cons of that. Like you should know more and then you can, you know, vote on these other things. I mean, I, I run into that whenever there are judges on the ballot. Yeah. Like, I don't know who people are. And, right. and, uh, I like that name. <laughs> I don't like that yeah. name. Like, yeah. you know, 
I just don't have the time to do the kind of research. And I'm not one to feel comfortable just accepting what a newspaper, whatever it is, recommends. Yeah. So it's like, well, I guess I just won't vote for that. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, I don't know where it's going. What what about uh, the entertainment aspect of of radio as we've known it? Uh, you know, music, funny disc jockeys, <laughs> entertaining people, people that we term, we consider, uh, you know, to be somebody we can relate to and that kind of thing. Is there a future for that, Re- whether it's over the air or in some other platform? I think it's some other platform because I think, um, I mean, you know, pe- people like to be entertained and uh, they may like and love music, but I think there's value in, in personalities that are attached to that. I don't I don't see how you get away from that. But, you know, the format, the platform that it that it's on, I think changes i mean you're already here radio stations for example dropping the word radio from right. <laughs> title you know which you know feels a little uh i don't know i was like wow really but i understand i understand why they're doing yeah it. um they don't want they don't want to so- people to associate with this ant- antique box <laughs> that has a knob and an antenna and all, right. you know so so you know well, some of it just makes sense. You know, how, how many years ago did radio stations stop using the call letters and give right. themselves a name? Right. You know, that makes it. sense. What What's the point of the letters? The letters yeah. mean nothing until you identify what that's all about. And why do you say, and why do you say 106.7? Because you're not dialing to that. Right. Right. It doesn't really mean anything. But I think that, I think that personality driven entertainment will continue. It, it'll just change. Um, you know, and it, it probably is right now. Um, and I'm just not aware of what that's looking like. And I don't just mean satellite radio, though, obviously that, you know, that's one thing, but to me, you know, once people were able to get it, cause I do this, once you're able to get into your car and hook up my phone and my, and I make playlists all the time, cause I'm a music junkie. So I've got like lots of playlists, all kinds of music and artists and whatever. So I have I have more music that I want to hear at my fingertips than any radio station could ever give me. Sure. Um, you know, just like I have more films because I'm really in the movies than I could probably get at a typical what used to be a video store. Um, so the minute I could get in my car and listen to what I want um, and not commercials, <laughs> uh, to me, that was that's, you know, that form of radio is pretty much dead or dying. Well, Yeah. The commercial aspect and the fact that you're able to choose your own music, yeah. but again, you know, goes back to the loss of that personal connection. Right. That human connection is missing now. You've got entire generations who have learned to hear disc jockeys simply reading liners, reading right. promotional notes, and offering nothing. Right. And and we and we had kids who started listening to radio and that kind of format that kind of programming from a very early age now they're not yeah my as i mentioned my younger my youngest daughter 23 is not that young but for the purposes of this conversation but she never grew up listening to radio so she has no history she hasn't been modeled that that way of getting entertainment hasn't been modeled to her so she doesn't really she never like thought like if i said who's the who's the uh morning drive 
announcer on Kiss FM. She couldn't tell you. Yeah. You know, right. so already that's a generation that doesn't even have the experiences that you and I just took for granted, you know, and not to mention calling in the radio station, making a dedication. I remember doing that. Nobody yeah. Knows. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I tend to look at that as uh, because the industry has forgotten how to make that important or to be able to provide it in right. such a way that it's that it's fun. Let me what let a- me ask you this real quick. Do you, yeah. do you think the Telecommunications Act of 96 had a big hand in squashing that because it meant companies could buy up everything. And then oh, you yeah. started getting voice tracking and, you know, hom- homogenization. Oh, of- yeah. Yeah. Program directors are now running four radio stations instead of <laughs> just one. They're not concentrating on the people they hired because they didn't hire any of these people. Maybe they're not even in the same city, you know, and <laughs> certainly you've got um, the whole corporation being owned by by investors, investors right. who don't even know anything about the business and couldn't care less. They've just got, you know, they've, they've got a portfolio that was put together by some investment company by some. So, I mean, yeah, everything has changed drastically and, you know, we could sit here and moan about it, but uh, I've got one other thing for you. And that is because you of your experience in news radio, news director and so forth, I started to ask you, what are you hearing now that you do, that you like and don't like, but apparently you're not listening to radio. <laughs> I can't really say. <laughs> so, so do, were there any trends that, uh, that were bothersome for you in terms of the way news was being reported? Yeah. Um, a couple of things, too much crime, too much crime, too much crime. Uh, uh. <laughs> I just always felt that was corrosive. Um, I mean, I don't want to be unkind, but most crime does not affect most of the audience. Exactly. And so it's it's kind of like when we it finally affects the people out. in the neighborhood, right? And and the and the and the uh, the victims and the families involved. But as you said, it's so corrosive. It's like, and plus, it's really easy. It's right, it's exactly. Easy and that's why I was there, yeah. particularly for all news stations, because you. You, I mean, I remember when I was a reporter at a non-all news station, and I used to envy all news stations. It's a god, they have all this time; they could do all these things. And then I went to work for one, and went, "You can never do enough things to fill up all this time." It's like, it's it's you know, it's like the rolling the boulder up the hill. You know, you just there's always more time. And then, as you know, even if when you supposedly have all the time filled, uh, you know, as an anchor, you find these holes that then you have to figure out a way to fill that, and so. Yeah, crime is just an easy, easy thing to do. But I do believe it's corrosive. I think it makes people more fearful of the world they live in unnecessarily. And it doesn't get it's it's like uh, empty calories. There's no nutrition. There's no real value. It just takes up space and time. So I never liked that. I'm glad to see some people getting away from that. Um, I never liked when reporters and I've seen more of this inject themselves in the stories. Mm-hmm. unnecessarily. I mean, if something happens, you're on the scene covering something and it, and it impacts you. Sure. You can say that that's just part of the story, but too much. We uh, unnecessarily. I never liked that. Still don't like that. I feel like I see that a little more in television. Um, and and I, that just sort of bothers me. There was a movie and I can't remember the name of it uh, with, uh, it had, um, it was about Edward R. Murrow, and it had uh, George Clooney, and oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. I don't, I don't remember the I name of it either, but something like that. 
the nightclub. Anyways, based on his uh, his uh, sign off. But I, one of the things that I got from that movie, and it's a movie, okay, so it's not real life, but still, one of the things I got from that is that being a reporter, being a journalist is a calling. And I, I just, I like that, not because it elevated the the career that I was in, but that was how I felt about it. I felt like bringing people news, bringing people information is almost sacred. You know, in a, in a, in a, in a non-religious way, the idea of, serving people with information that they can help that can help them to make good decisions and strengthen democracy. It's like a very, very noble calling. But I, I felt like there was, a, and I think there was a time where that was more of a feeling, but I, that feeling is to me long since dissipated. And as a result, I think it, it has become, you know, very, um, It's just it's just a job. It's just a gig. And I don't think doing the news should ever just be a gig. If I ever was when I was hiring people, if I ever detected that in someone who was applying for a job, I would never hire them. I was talking with uh, with John Guerin uh, just a little while ago today in Chicago, and uh, we were talking about how things have changed in terms of uh, the on air staff and with particular particularly in newsrooms. I've been working in newsrooms for 40-some years. And when I first started out, people would get together and go, hey, what are you working on? Well, I'll tell you. Here's what I've got. Let me take a look at your copy. Let me try to boil this down. Here, why don't you try this? Why don't you think about that? You know, we were discussing the craft. That completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I can't say, you know, I work with some very good people and uh, some very lovely people in the last 20 years who really couldn't see, don't seem to care at all about, about the craft or how they go about doing anything. You know, the, the enthusiasm seems to be gone. Right. Well, you know, that could be due to a lot of, and, 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 you know, I don't want to sound like a whiner. Things are the way they are. And I'm sure that I remember when I got into the business, I heard people bemoaning, the way it was when I yeah. stepped yeah, into yeah, it, I'm thinking, yeah. Well, yeah, these old farts, what are they talking about? Right. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing. But salaries have gone way, way, way down. Benefit packages for people in, in our bit. Like, there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of other factors in addition to the fact that people just don't have the passion they used to have. You know, it's not valued as much. It's not valued as much by the consumers in certain ways. Um, not their fault. I think it's kind of what, what we've devolved to, but they don't value it as much. The companies don't value it as much. And then the, the individual entities that employ them don't value it as much. And I'm not going to name any names because I think this is true pretty much across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that that also has a corrosive effect over time. You don't feel like your work is valued as much. And so you don't value it as much. Right. You tell people what you do. And it used to be when you told people what you do, well, I told people what I did. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Like you, you report the news or you invest, like what's happening, you know, but people don't have that kind of interest anymore. And, uh, and so it's hard to value what you do when you don't think it's valued by others. I don't know if you can hear the dogs barking in the background. I oh, guess no, I can't. I'm, I'm being told it's time to sign off. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I want to, I want to really strongly urge anybody who's uh, watching or listening to this to go back to our first episode uh, some months ago when you and I talked about all kinds of things. And we did get into radio eventually, 
but uh, much more in terms of your background, your views on uh, social issues and so forth. I just went back and checked that out, and I thought it was really excellent. So thank you again, Mark. You're very welcome. Thank you. You're a special guy, and uh, I enjoy being your friend, and I enjoy listening to you talk about your experience. I appreciate it.